Henry sat in his jail cell in Denver thinking over his options, as he had done a thousand times already since being arrested. Schellenbach had somehow managed to get an indictment against him, despite the hocus-pocus sound of his evidence, but the grand jury was not the twelve-man jury he would face at his trial, and he couldn't believe that any jury of twelve ordinary citizens would find him guilty of a murder that had occurred while he was in the company of two FBI agents. He was betting his life on it. He had thought it several times between Ohio and Colorado that he should just close his eyes and vanish into the past. He knew he could do it, there was no question about that, but that left him with only two options, stay in the past and learn to live with it, or risk coming back at some point in time, a wanted fugitive, and spend the rest of his life on the lamb. If he chose to disappear into the past, there was always the physical aspect of his escape and eventual return to worry about. Whatever he didn't know about the way the gift worked, what he did know was that he always returned to the very same spot he had departed from. He had thought about this on Interstate 71 on the way to Cincinnati. If he vanished from the police cruiser en route there, he might return later three feet off the ground and traveling at seventy miles per hour. That would be a very painful, if not fatal, return to the present. On the plane to Denver, he considered going back, but to return thirty thousand feet above the earth, moving at five hundred miles per hour was unthinkable. And now, sitting in his jail cell, if he went into the past, he would only return to the jail cell, whenever he chose to come back. What he had seriously considered was going back from his cell to before Tom Batch had walked through his apartment door. He thought about going to the apartment, removing the booby trap, and then returning to his cell, leaving everyone involved wondering what he was even doing in jail. They would have to release him. There would have been no crime, and certainly no crime associated with him. But he knew that Schellenbach was no fool. By now, he had probably documented everything, even filing with the court a letter explaining why Henry Kellogg was in jail in the first place, and that he might do just exactly what he was considering doing. Would that matter, though? Henry had no idea. So in the final analysis, he decided to ride out the trial and put his faith in the jury's sound judgment and inability to be swayed by the mumbo-jumbo evidence that the prosecution would present. If he was wrong, and he was found guilty, he could always vanish later, perhaps in the corridor of the courthouse as he was being led away. At least then, when he returned, he would have a fighting chance of slipping away from the courthouse and disappearing into the large Denver metropolis. The first day of his trial finally arrived, and Doris was in the gallery to watch the proceedings. The day Henry had been arrested, she had found a job, but when she returned home to tell him the good news, she had been greeted by a policewoman who had given her the bad news. A week later, she found an apartment of her own and moved out of Henry's house. Now she was back in Denver, a place she swore she would never visit again. But Henry needed her support. 
after all he had done, what he had done for her, however misguided he had been. The prosecution presented its case amid snickers and sneers from the gallery. Their whole case rested on a shotgun that may or may not have been passed down to Henry from his grandfather and the notion that he could travel in time. Their gun-and-empty-box proof, obtained through a staged mock crime scene, did not go over well with the jury, whether they simply didn't buy it or perhaps didn't want to be thought fools for accepting it. Henry didn't know, 